We are continuing in a series that we started last week called Sound Doctrine. Um, This series is meant to give us a closer look at some of the songs that we sing in this worship time. Um, It helps us to re-examine the what, the what we are singing, and the why, the why of what we are singing. What we're singing and why we're singing it. We believe that worshiping God through music is important. It is vital to the lives of of followers of Christ. And if you weren't here last week, um, kind of how this service will go, it'll go something like this. Each week we'll have a specific song um, that we're looking at. We'll connect it to a biblical text um, that Pastor Mike or I or both of us together um, believe offers some scriptural background to the theology, the, the what we are singing. Um, and then we're going to identify kind of the larger truth behind the song the larger truth that exists in the Word of God. So the songs that we sing, the songs that we proclaim during this time are important. They are chosen for a reason. They are not just chosen because we think it's fun, we like it. They are chosen because the words present this truth of of who we are as followers of Christ and who God is. And so I ask you, I challenge you during this time that as we sing the worship songs as we talk through one of the worship songs each week, that you would think more closely about what you are singing and why you are singing it, and if you really truly believe what you are singing. And that is how we are practicing, oh, it's not up there, sound doctrine. Um, Disclaimer, like I said last week, these songs are not scripture. Some of them might make references to scripture or quote Um, small parts of scripture, but they are not scripture in and of themselves. They present truths of scripture. They present truths of who God is, um, but they are not what we base our faith upon. We base our faith upon what scripture tells us of who God is. So as we do every Sunday, as we'll continue doing, even though we are focusing on a worship song, would you stand with me this morning as we honor God's word? I made a quick change. I don't know if, I don't know if they uh, f- followed me in the booth back there. We'll find out. Um, we are going to start with the very last verse of Malachi chapter 2 and then go into chapter 3. You have made the Lord tired with your words. You say, how have we made him tired? When you say anyone doing evil is good in the Lord's eyes, or he delights in those doing evil, or where is the God of justice? Look, I am sending my messenger who will clear the path before me. Suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you take delight is coming, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can withstand his appearance? He is like the refiner's fire or the cleaner's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. They will belong to the Lord, presenting a righteous offering. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in ancient days and in former years. I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those swearing falsely against those who cheat the day laborers out of their wages, as well as oppress the widow and the orphan. And against those who brush aside the foreigner and do not revere me, says the Lord of heavenly forces. I am the Lord and I do not change. And you, children of Jacob, have not perished. 
Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have deviated from my laws and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heavenly forces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, the people of Israel had been in exile for 70 years when Cyrus the Great, the uh, Persian king who had conquered Babylon, he released them. He allowed them. He decided that it was okay for them to return to their home. And they returned from captivity with some pretty high hopes. They rebuilt the temple. Um, They leaned heavily on these promises of the prophets who had come before Ezekiel and Zechariah. They believed that the promises made from those prophets would be immediately fulfilled now that they have returned to their home, returned from exile. Many even believed that the messianic age that had been spoken of was at hand. The nation expected to kind of recover this lost glory from the kingdom of David. They believed that their land would miraculously be fruitful once again and that their cities would be filled with people. The ideal king would be raised up very soon, and all of the nations around would come to Jerusalem to serve the Lord. This is what they felt they had been promised by the prophets, been promised by God, and they had great expectations after their return from exile that these things would take place. But the years rolled on, and nothing seemed to be happening. It didn't happen how they expected it to, and this sense of disillusionment began to set in. This prosperity and this blessing that they had anticipated didn't materialize. Instead, life was difficult. Life was hard. Their land remained just a small province in the Persian Empire. Their crops were poor. The plants were filled with parasites. The fruit was bad. God had not come to the temple with majesty and power to exalt his kingdom in the sight of the nations. And this glorious future that had been announced by the prophets had not been realized. These unrealized expectations persisted year after year, and the dreams of earlier days never seemed to materialize. And there was this growing sense of discontentment that then became skepticism and became doubt. And the Israelites, they had expected these days of power and prosperity and hope to return to them once they had come back home. But when they looked at the nations around them, there was this stark contrast. These other nations that didn't follow God, that worshipped idols, they're wealthy, they're powerful, they possess all that seems to be good and right and successful in the world. And the Israelites who follow God and serve God, they are poor, they're overcome with hunger, There's injustice in the land and everything else that is considered to be weak and lacking in the eyes of the world. And so this questioning and this doubt and this discontentment builds up into this kind of religious depression, religious melancholy. And the Israelites begin to fall away from God, to blame God, and to doubt God's character. Simpson's reference here. What happened to you, man? You used to be cool. That's the Israelites talking to God. They complain that God no longer loves or cares for them. They question his sense of judgment, or sorry, of justice. They, they question whether or not he is 
who he says he has been throughout history. Their worship becomes just going through the motions. They don't take the law seriously anymore. The priests are careless in their duties. They neglect the responsibilities that they have been called to. Social injustice is commonplace. Many withhold their tithes and offerings. And this spirit of cynicism begins to grow among the people and spreads to all the people. And those who remain true to the faith begin to ask this question, why? There are many who question the authority and the ways of God. This covenant relationship between God and Israel appears to be in shambles, at least from one side. They doubt the truth of God's commitment to them. And this is where the prophet Malachi comes into play. This uneasy time in Israel's history calls for a prophet, a man of God to come to preach fearlessly without hesitation on the nature of God, God's character, and God's faithfulness to the people of Israel throughout their history. This crisis of faith amongst God's people requires someone like Malachi, a man whose name literally translates to my messenger. Malachi, although he's not referenced a ton in scripture, um, was a devout preacher of God's word. He pled for this sincerity of worship and holiness of life. And he had an intense love for Israel and for the practices and the services that took place in the temple. It often comes across in his writing um, that maybe he put more emphasis on worship than on inward spirituality. Um, But for him, these rituals that, that they would do in the temple, these rituals that they would do in their worship services were not just the, the goals of the worship. It wasn't just to do this, but they were expressions of the people's faith in God. And in the book of Malachi, we see many times over a prophet who defends the integrity and the justice of God to a people who had forgotten it, who had become skeptics of God's justice and integrity. Historically, the prophets could gain a following of people simply by saying, thus saith the Lord, and people would follow them. But in in this day, with the happenings of the world around them, the failure to meet expectations or to meet their expectations of how things were to go, um, there was no such following. You could not get by simply on saying, this is what the Lord says to you. The people had fallen into this sort of spiritual despondence. And so in this section that we read this morning um, from Malachi chapter 3, he directs his words towards those who have become weary in following the Lord. Those who are complaining that the sin of the outside world is successful. The claims that Malachi specifically addresses in our text this morning is that anyone doing evil is good in the Lord's eyes. He delights in those doing evil And the question of where is the God of justice? These people with these statements have obviously, at least to a certain extent, lost some faith in God. They have lost faith in God's goodness and in God's character. Who God is at the core of God's being, they have lost faith in that. The year 2020, I'm sure none of us will ever forget, right? Granted, it's only three years ago. But 2020 was a year like no other, right? We went into, there's there's all sorts of 
pithy, like going into 2020 with a renewed 2020 vision, right? There was, there was all sorts of this, like, this is a fresh start, even more so maybe than a normal new year. And the hope of this new year then quickly began to dissolve as all sorts of global crises came into play. We had um, the, the threat of war with Iran. We had uh, the beginnings of a global pandemic. We had massive brush fires in Australia. And the list goes on with these global crises, these crises even here in the United States, here at home. There were lots of things going on. There were lots of struggles. But beyond kind of the struggles of the world around, um, I feel like in my life personally, the year 2020 started and it felt like things were crumbling all around me. In January of 2020, I dealt with chest tightness and, and a rapid heartbeat. The stresses of my job, um, working on my master's, and just kind of for the first time in my life, really having very minimal physical activity, um, it, it led me to going into the emergency room in the middle of the night and finding out that I had been dealing with anxiety attacks for the first time. And then in February, um, we got news that Kayla's mom, she had battled cancer nearly 10 years prior, and that cancer had returned. And then in March, things got even crazier as COVID shut down all sorts of things and, and went crazy with, this, with its spreading and all that. And then on March 22nd of 2020, um, something really shook up our lives. As we were laying in bed at about three in the morning, um, I heard a car zooming by. Uh, our townhouse was kind of, it was by the corner of a, an intersection um, and people would go fast on that road all the time. And so it was not uncommon to hear the zoom of this car going by. But this time, um, that zoom woke me up, and then there was a crash that followed. And then there was another slightly different sounding crash. And then there was a little bit of a shaking. And what had happened was a drunk driver had rear-ended a car across the street, pushed it forward a full car length into another car, overcorrected, T-boned my truck that was parked on the sidewalk up onto our front lawn and crashed into our front door. It's a little hard to see. But our wall is like curved there. This happened in the middle of the night. Saturday, it was a Saturday night right before we had our first online church service because of COVID. And so with all of this chaos that was going on in the world around, there was also this chaos in my life that felt like things were just falling apart. And, and in the mere days after that, um, we had to deal with the fallout of insurance claims, right? We had to um, move into my sister's basement on short notice because they had to fix this townhouse. And um, we also got to experience our first earthquake as we were sitting in a giant glass car dealership. So these nice, tidy plans that I had for 2020 and the excitement of the new year within three months had just been railroaded by life. And many times over those several months, I prayed, God, what is going on? What, why are things so crazy? Where are you in the craziness of my life, in the craziness of the world around us? Because... I'm sure I'm not alone in this. For, for many of us, 
when tragic things, when stressful things happen in our lives, when we feel like we are at the end of our rope, we turn to God. And in the midst of that stress and that heartache and that grief and that fear and anxiety and suffering, we say, God, where are you? What is going on? Why don't you just intervene in this injustice, in this corruption, in this perversion of your good creation? Why do things keep getting worse? Why aren't you doing anything? And when I look at the state of our world, even still today, the world around us, my personal world, the world of this community, have things really changed? Are things getting any better? It feels like things continue to get worse. I mean, there have been lots of good things that have happened, right? Since, since that time, um, Kayla and I both completed our master's. We moved to this really great church. I don't know if you've heard of it, Longview Church of the Nazarene. Um, we moved here to Longview, Washington. We had a baby. Good things have happened since then. But it feels like the world around us keeps getting worse. Things keep getting worse. And surely God will intervene at some point, right? But here's the real question. If we don't feel like we see God intervening, where do we turn? Do we remain faithful even when what we see looks nothing like the, re- the realities of, that God has promised us? Do we keep putting our faith and our hope in God even if life continues on this downward descent? Or do we start turning to something else or someone else? Do we start to turn to political leaders or platforms? Or do we turn to our wealth or our influence or our rights Maybe we turn to apathy and we think, you know what? I just don't even care anymore. Let life come at me, whatever. Or maybe we turn inward and we think about, number one, me, myself, and I. That's all I care about, what's best for me. If we don't see the evidence of God's activity in our lives, in our world, where do we turn our faith? Where do we turn our hope? These are some of the questions that the Israelites were undoubtedly dealing with. They were wrestling with these same kinds of questions, and many of them began to turn elsewhere, to turn away from God, to turn to things that seemed to them to be more trustworthy than God had been. Some of them turned to the other nations that were more successful by what they deemed were important things and successful things. Some turned to themselves to kind of get theirs and to do what was right and best by their own definition in their own thinking. And others turned apathetic. They chose to just take whatever route was easiest, whatever route required the, the least of them, and they shirked some of their communal responsibilities. Regardless of what actions the people of Israel took, many of them took the option that turned away from God. They have lost their faith in God's character and activity, and their actions made that pretty evident. But Malachi responds to this by condemning their sins and calling them to repentance. He calls out their faithlessness. He calls out their doubts, and specifically their doubts of God's character. 
In response to their claim that God is unjust or has lost his heart for justice, Malachi speaks of the day of the Lord. He speaks of this future day when there would be a purification of the godly and a destruction of the wicked. It serves as both an announcement and a warning. The Lord says, the Lord that they claim to seek and desire will come, but he will come in two ways. One, like a refiner's fire, two, like a cleaner's soap. And Pastor Mike has talked about this kind of idea multiple times, especially when talking about the prophets. The coming of the day of the Lord can be both good news and bad news, depending on who this news is being revealed to, right? It's, it is great news for those who follow the Lord, who seek to do the Lord's will, because this coming day is a day of restoration and redemption. But it's bad news for those who don't follow God, who don't serve the Lord, because it is judgment, it is destruction, it is death. Both of these images, the refiner's fire and the cleaner's soap, they reference this cleansing and purifying work. They are both noted as being very thorough and severe in their cleansing of whatever item they are put to work on. So first, let's look at the refiner's fire. Um, When a metal has impurities or imperfections in it, the refiner um, works to remove, remove it or purify it. So putting it under immense heat, it kind of melts it down to this liquid. And they're then able to separate the gunk, the the dross, from the rest of the metal. They remove it rather than just destroying it all, scrapping it all. The pure heat of the refiner's fire is so intense that it would separate that dross, the bad stuff, from the molten metal. And then we have the cleaner's soap, or the fuller's soap, as some translations might have it. Um, A fuller, a cleaner, was the one who would cleanse and um, whiten cloth in those days. The the cleaning would often take place outside of the city in a special field because it smelled so bad. And they would remove these kind of dirts and oils by using this special soap, this very strong soap full of all sorts of chemicals. They probably had no idea what was doing to them. Um... But similar to the refiner's fire, it was done to purify and to cleanse. It was, it was done to remove the undesirable rather than just eliminate it altogether. The cleaner would soak this cloth in water, use this strong soap, and then they would beat it with a stick or stamp it out to remove the impurities. So what, is, what does this mean for us? Well, in the context of Malachi... It means that the coming of the Lord was the coming of the great refiner and the great launderer. Jesus was not a carpenter. He was a laundryman, and he was a metal worker. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may go. uh, it, It means that if sinners prefer the Lord's cleansing work to the Lord's judgment, that option is available to them. The, the fire and the soap are available. The day of the Lord was coming, and it was up to them to decide if it was a day of destruction and death or a day of life and, and redemption and restoration. 
There was reason to rejoice because God's ultimate desire is never to destroy. God's ultimate desire is to redeem. God will come. God will set right the brokenness of our world. He will bring new life. He will set right these injustices and these circumstances that make humanity doubt his goodness. God never changes. God's character remains the same. God is faithful. But the people of Israel, just like the ancestors throughout their history, the people are oftentimes faithless. Their complaint is that God has failed them. But God here, in the words of Malachi, God reminds them to place the blame where it belongs on them. Because contrary to what many in Malachi's day were thinking, God is faithful to his covenant. Verse 6 that we read says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. This word, therefore, it, it's used here to imply that although the people of Israel have been unfaithful countless times, God remains true to his word. Although they have given God many, many reasons to destroy this covenant and to destroy them, God will not because that is not God's character. Martin Luther once exclaimed, If I were God, I would knock the world to pieces. Because that's the easiest way out of it, right? Restoration is messy. Cleansing is messy. Purifying is messy. But because God is God, the Israelites and us, we're not destroyed. Because God is God, restoration is possible. The very existence of this sinful Israel and sinful humanity is grounded in this truth that the Lord is faithful, the Lord is committed. The ultimate salvation for the Israelites here is not found in their circumstances, it's not found in their repentance, it's not found in their faithfulness. The ultimate salvation is found in God's character and God's action. And this is good news for the people of Israel. And it's good news for us here today, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But for now, we're going to jump to our song that we're looking at this morning. The song is called Same God. Uh, It's a song that came out a very, very long time ago, back in January of 2022, a whole year ago. And this song was written by a group called Elevation Worship. And Elevation Worship, um, they are a They call themselves a worship music collective, which is a fancy way of saying a worship band. And they are from Elevation Church in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. They were formed in 2007. And during, in the last, what is that, 15-ish years, they, um, they obviously lead worship at Elevation Church every Sunday. But they also have gone on tours and performed concerts around the U.S., and they have released 16 albums in the last 15 years, which is impressive. So whether or not you have heard of Elevation Worship, I guarantee that most, if not all of you, have at least heard and probably sung some of their songs, because we sing a few of them here on a regular basis. Um, Songs like Give Me Faith, O Come to the Altar, Here as in Heaven, 
and this is why I can guarantee that all of you have heard their song, Do It Again, which we did right before prayer, but we're not going to do it again. Today, we might do it again in the future. So Elevation Church, um, this is their worship collective that they, that they uh, send out and that they worship with every Sunday. Um, Elevation Church as a whole has received um, a little bit of criticism, just to be upfront about that. They have received some criticism, criticism for their theology of their worship. Um, it's, the, the criticism comes because people believe that their, their worship largely focuses on the individual and how each of us interact with God and, and the Holy Spirit in this time of worship, um, which is not a bad thing. That, that is a, a good thing that we are connected to the Holy Spirit. Um, but the criticism comes that that is kind of prioritized above everything else. That sometimes the, the God of the worship is forgotten about because it's all about me and how th- this worship experience is helping me out. Um, which I hope you all know is not, that's not the, the purpose of worship. The purpose of worship is to lift up our praise to God. Um, so that is the, criti- the criticism that Elevation Worship has received. Um, and we're going to get into that a little bit more in just a bit. But for now, we are going to take a couple of minutes and we're going to just listen to this song, Same God. There's going to be a lyric video on the screen. You have lyrics sheets in your bulletin. So I want you to follow along with the words. And if you want to sing along, that's great. Or I think the most important uh, practice here is to just listen to these words. And to think about these words. Um, So follow along and we are going to listen to the song, Same God.
So that is the song, Same God. Uh, quick note, the original version of this song includes a third bridge and a third verse. Um, those are left out of the version that we just heard, not because I have anything against them, but just because I think that what we looked at this morning has plenty of scriptural basis, um, and it communicates kind of the fuller picture of this song. So that is the radio edit of this uh, song. You're more than welcome to go listen to the full version. It's like eight minutes long. Um, so this song, it was written, uh, or it's based on the verse that we read earlier from Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I am the Lord and I do not change. And at first glance, um, this verse is a powerful reminder that God is the same God. God is unchanging. That God is the same God that God has always been. And that God is the same God that we read about throughout Scripture. These are all true things. God is that same God. God is unchanging. But as we've just covered um, in the greater context of this, this one verse in Malachi, um, this is an interesting interpretation. I'm not going to say it's a wrong interpretation. Um, it's just interesting. Because I think that there's a danger to singing to how we sing this song. Because it, it feels dangerously close to kind of name it and claim it theology, right? Of like, God has moved in these great ways in the past. And so I know that God will move in these same great ways in my life. And that goes back to that idea of singing these worship songs for me. Just because God did these things, I, I can say that I expect God to do those same things and to, to answer that yes, that affirmative in my life in the same way. But that is improper theology. Just because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore does not mean that God will interact with humanity to, to work in our lives 
in the same ways that he did yesterday, today, forevermore. It would be a little bit narcissistic to think that we can put ourselves into the place of these heroes of the faith, right? Of Jacob, of Moses, of Mary, of David that we sing about in this song. It would be a little bit narcissistic if we were to say, this is how God is going to work in my life as well. Because as the pastor, Matt Chandler, put it, the Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about you. The Bible is about God. The Bible is about Jesus Christ, right? We, we have heard um, the Bible Project videos that we watched throughout Advent. Their kind of tagline is, the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. The Bible is not about us. The Bible is about Jesus. And also, you're not David. In the story of David and Goliath, you're not David. These, these heroes are not the heroes of the faith because of what they did and because of how strong they were or, or the faithfulness that they showed. The heroes of these stories, uh, the David, Moses, all of, these, all of these heroes that we hear about, the Bible is also very clear about what they did very wrong in their lives, right? The only person in Scripture that is perfect is Jesus Christ. So these heroes are not heroes because of what they did or their faithfulness. These heroes are heroes because of what God did through them. The same God who was at work in each of them, the same God that we have access to today. Not so that he can do these same things in our lives, but so that the God whose character and faithfulness are the same and unchanging can move and act in our lives in ways. So that's why this, this text, the text of this song, um, is, I think, grounded in the words that we proclaim in this chorus. This chorus that we repeat multiple times, that, that is purposeful, I believe. Choruses are repeated multiple times, verses are not usually. And so we repeat this chorus multiple times for a reason. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. O rock, O rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. We sing this song to declare that there is a God and that God is not us. There is a Savior and that Savior is not us. We declare that God is God and that God does not change. God is not defined by who we think he should be or by what we want him to be. Like Malachi says, I am the Lord and I do not change. God is God, and God does not change. God is true to the character of God, regardless of us, regardless of our faithfulness, regardless of our wants or desires, regardless of the circumstances of our life, regardless of evil or injustice or anything that is going on in our world. God is God, and God is unchanging in his character. God does not change or bend to our will. And so we sing this song... Because we are proclaiming who God is, right? The verses and the bridges. In verse 1, we declare that God is a God of love. God is a God of faithfulness. And God is a God who makes a way for his people. In verse 2, we declare that God is a God of humility, a God of justice, and a God of power. In bridge 1, we are declaring that God is a God who hears, who answers, and who provides. 
And then in bridge two, we declare that God is a God who moves in power, who heals, and who saves. These are declarations, not, not saying that God is going to do all of these things for us, but these are declarations of who we know the character of God to be. These declarations are made for no other reason than to say, our God is awesome. We are in awe when we praise and worship God. We are in awe of this God who is outside of the sinfulness of humanity. God has shown us throughout scripture that these are all characteristics, descriptors of his character. When we sing these verses, when we sing these bridges, this is what we are proclaiming. But then that is all tied together by this chorus, this refrain that we sing each and every time. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. We have an ultimate, unrelenting need for God. At the core of who we are, we need God. This song, Same God, it was um, kind of a theme for summer camp this past summer. Um, we sang it at the end of each chapel time. And it had a profound impact on one of our teens. I don't, I think he, he might be hiding. Um, James, oh, there he is. So I asked James if he would um, share his story of, of how this song impacted him while we were at camp. Um, and he put it into writing for me. So I'm going to read it. Um, and then I'm going to add a little bit more based on the conversations that James and I had after this, this moment. Um, but for context, this was, this, this moment was the Thursday night of camp. So it's the last night of camp before we go home Friday. And uh, as we were singing this song, I was sitting behind James and James sat down in his chair and began to cry. Um, he, he broke down in tears. And here are his words of what was, what was going on in this time. He says, I feel like one of the main reasons why the song Same God had such an effect on me at camp and made me cry was because of the lyrics. In the song, it says that God is the same and he will never change. And that was one of the things that had affected me so much. I think that one reason is because it made me realize that God is the same no matter where I am in my life or even where I am in my relationship with God. He's always going to be the same and he will never change. God is always going to be a kind, caring, loving, compassionate, slow to anger kind of God, no matter what. And I just think that that, that warms my heart <laughs> to hear the depth of that experience from a teenager. And what James is noticing here, and why this song had, a, had such a great effect on him, is that it describes the nature and the character of God, the same God who interacted with his people in the Bible in loving and caring and compassionate and slow to anger kinds of ways is the God who is reaching out to us in those same ways. When we don't know where to turn or we have questions about where God is at in our world or we just feel like giving up, it's not God that has changed. Jesus Christ is continually reaching out to us. All we have to do is to repent. We have to turn our backs on the sin of trying to do it our own way, the sin of seeking our own path, looking to other people or systems for our salvation. Turn our backs on that 
and realize just how depraved and sinful we are and how holy and just God is. That contrast of our sin, God's holiness. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. In my conversation with James after um, this service, this is what I remember us talking about. In his relationship with God, he had realized that God was not the one that had changed, that he was the one who had changed. And this realization is something that I think, I hope, all of us realize today, that God is not the one who has changed, that we are the ones who change. When we sin, we are the ones who turn our backs on him. And so as we sing the lyrics specifically of this chorus, um, like James, who was struck by the fact that in fact it was he, in fact, who needed God, it was he who had changed. In the midst of singing this song, I hope and I pray that we all realize that we are the ones that have separated ourselves from God, that God is unchanging, God is unrelenting in God's character, and that, oh God, my God, I need you. I'm standing on your faithfulness. Let's sing this song together and declare that with all that we are.